I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Full Contact. In association with Mitsubishi Motors, drive your ambition. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. Well, what's happened since last time? We're in a better place, aren't we? We've got President-elect Joe Biden and we've got a vaccine on the way for the pandemic. So let's hope that works out well. The 2020 Six Nations is finally in the history books. Attention now turns to the up-and-coming Autumn Nations Cup, a five-week tournament which features a Six Nations side alongside Georgia and Fiji. Uh, as ever, we'll be across every game here on Full Contact over the next five weeks, starting with today's episode, where I'm joined by a very special guest. He's a two-time British and Irish Lion, a four-time Champions Cup winner and a former European Player of the Year, now plying his trade with London Irish. I'm sure you've guessed if you follow rugby, and even if you don't, it's Sean O'Brien. We'll be discussing his recent book, Fuel, where he details his career for Ireland, Leinster and the Lions and gives an insight into... Well, what he says could have made him an angry young man. Uh, whether he turns into an angry old man, we don't know. But we'll get these thoughts on lots of things, including working with Joe Schmidt, the impact that uh, recurring injuries have had on his career, and how he sees the future of the game developing post-COVID. As ever, we'll be also answering your questions, and we'll be taking a closer look at some of the work that's been done at grassroots level as part of the Mitsubishi Volunteer Recognition Programme. But without further ado, let me say welcome to my guest for today, it's London Irish's Sean O'Brien. Sean, um, I never had really long-term injuries. I don't know what it's like. It must be frustrating. How has it been for you since you moved to London and um, trying to manage that with settling in? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting, Brian. At least it's um, it's been a long uh, process. I suppose I was only three months into. Um, three or four months into a 10-month kind of rehab program when I started uh, with London Irish. So I knew I had a bit of a uphill battle against me um, coming over here, but one which I was willing to face. And um, it was uh, it was something that um, there was a good transition between Leinster and London Irish and the uh, S&C staff and physios, doctors, etc. all um, kind of knew what was going on. But um, when it's something long like that, you set yourself up goals every week and uh, from week to week. And then 
longer term one is to get back playing and thankfully I did that but um, lockdown happened the week after so <laughs> <laughs> I mean look do, I don't want to overplay this but did it help the Irish connection at all or is that something that's gone now really in terms of London Irish and Cosmopolitan no it, there is there is still there's a lot of staff um, a lot of staff there that are that are Irish um, you know going back in the going back through history and stuff obviously it has a big connection with Ireland but I suppose bringing in a few of the um, bringing in a few Irish players now as well has has brought that back into it, and it's something I suppose we want to try and reconnect with the fans as well, um, which will be a big part of it. And moving to Brentford is going to help that with yeah. uh, you know with the amount of Irish around the area. Yeah, I know Mick Crossan very well. That he's one of the, the, the Power Day people who who's been you know runs the uh, the club. He's a good lad. If you ever get a chance to say hello to him, please do so. Um, look, the new surroundings. It's coming at a, a very difficult time for everybody. Just how atypical, how different has it been, you know, from this sort of thing to what you've been used to before? Yeah, it's, it's been it's been a strange a strange one, really. Um, you know, even even coming back for that game with um, no fans and uh, no buzz around the place when you get to a ground, um, even even in training, you know, social distancing and meetings and. Um, you know, there was all these protocols that we had to follow and, you know, they're there for every club. So everyone's had to adapt for it. But it has been very strange for players because, you know, as well as anyone, we just want to go out and play and um, enjoy ourselves. And, um, you know, the whole experience of a rugby game is about the atmosphere and um, how you create that as a bunch of, uh, as two teams, I suppose, playing against each other. And that's yeah. not there at the minute. So it's very different. But it's something I suppose players have gotten used to now over the, past few months and will now leading into new, the new season. I tell you what, when they finally get back in front of crowds, it will be like almost a new dawn, won't it? You, you suddenly realise what you've been missing. Yes, for sure. And I think, I think, uh, I think the fans as well will really enjoy the whole um, being back out there with each other and um, having a few beers and, and getting the crack going. So um, on both sides, but we're definitely looking forward to the time when fans are allowed back in, and I'm sure they're the same. Well, yeah. Six Nations has just finished. I mean, it was split in two. It's very difficult to understand exactly what was going on and keep your mind on that. What did you make of it as a whole? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's strange, I suppose, from the point of view that such a break and then back into it. Um, and, like, it could have been anyone's on that last day. And, um, you know, Ireland went to France, and if they kept the scoreboard ticking, it could have been a bit of a different result. And then... England kind of had a poor first half against uh, Italy and ramped things up in the second half. But yeah, it was it's it, just the way it all unfolded. But I think England uh, deserves it. I think they played the better rugby of everyone overall. France are starting to show glimpses of what they're able to do, and Ireland are in kind of a, a transition phase. And it'll be interesting to see how they go now over the next. Um, you know, a couple of months leading into this uh, autumn uh, series. Well, I mean, I, I said it at the time that. The, the the mistakes that Ireland made were sort of atypical because there were a lot of set piece things went wrong. Doesn't that really doesn't usually go? Can you define, you know, how that how that happened? Like you can't really put your finger on it. Looking at the game, it's a bit different, you know. Um, but yeah, there was a few areas, I suppose, where we were usually locked tight that that weren't, and um, a few mistakes and individual errors, etc. So. You know, maybe it's um, maybe it's a bit of prep. Maybe it's just this whole new kind of um, game we're trying to play, or, or they're, they're trying to get get used to it at the minute because um, 
it's definitely probably not the way Joe used to do things, and it's and Faz is trying to put his own stamp on things. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, we, I've got a question here, but I'll, I'll shelve it to later because that's part and parcel of, of the uh, of the Leinster stuff and what have you. Um, just, just go over finally on the rugby that's coming up. The Autumn Series and the Six Nations is coming up as well. They are going to be under different conditions and so on. Um, what would you like to see for, for the tournament and specifically for Ireland from those two two tournaments? Well, I think I think you want to see a certain style of play, and I think that's what will happen in the next um, in the next period of time, especially with the Irish setup. I, I'm hoping that you'll see exactly the way they're trying to go about their business. Um, they've had probably two uh, two opportunities to do that now, and you can see that they're a little bit more unstructured in the way they're playing. Um, so that development is exciting in a way because we have we have young, exciting players coming through. Um, and I just, in general, I think it's going to be, I think teams, the more that they're with each other now and in camp, et cetera, at the minute, um, they're going to get better. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how the rest of, um, you know, the countries go. Like the likes of France and England as well, not having England having a game before that Italy game. So they're only going to get better too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be, it'll be a wide open kind of, it'll be a wide open tournament again. Why, why don't we get to stuck into uh, into fuel, which is uh, your book written with uh, alongside Jerry Thornley? It strikes me your p- path into rugby was slightly different to to, to a lot of other people's because was you played several sports. Um, when did it become clear? What what made it clear that this is the one out of all the others that you were going to go for? Yeah, probably when I was um, just fifteen, sixteen. We have uh, a, a youth development program which is for players in clubs like me. So I'm from a junior club back home called Tullow RSC, which is just a really small club out in the country, train Tuesdays and Thursdays and play on Sundays. Whereas the schools are training every single day, play two games a week, um, etc. So it's it's a very different system. So we had, I first started out with South East Leinster, which is made a big trial of like 180 players. That gets whittled down to a South East team who play against four other uh, regional sides within the Leinster province in a in a weekend blitz. And out of that then, the Leinster Youth, is what it's called, is picked. And that's 35, 40 players. And uh, so I, I missed out on that the first year. didn't get picked. I was two years young. And then the second year, I um, I played number eight on that team. And that was the start of it for me. That was at, at 16, 17, playing Leinster Youth. I ended up captain on that side in the provincials. And then onto Irish 18s, Irish 19s, 20s, etc. The whole way through, and then got into the academy after the second year of um, being in the Leinster setup. So it was it was it's very different route. I think Shane Horgan might have been the last one um, who went through that system. Do you think the uh, the private school system gives an advantage early on, at least, to uh, to the players who come through that? Absolutely. In terms of in terms of so much stuff, but um, rugby knowledge. Um, S and C, um, skill base, definitely all all have an advantage because as I said, we're only training Tuesday, Thursday nights, maybe for an hour. The other thing, the other big thing with clubs is at the minute is that they're trying to upskill the coaches to get to that level of of the more private schools because they are training every single day. The coaches are good coaches. The rugby people, they know what they're trying to do, and in turn, in turn, uh, the knowledge is passed on to that younger generation. What what could you what could be done about that in your opinion? You look at the the way the All Black system is in terms of letting um, 
letting their All Blacks go back and play club rugby during the week if there's no game, etc. That could be a, that could be a big thing for uh, first of all the use of the club to see someone from an international level coming back and playing. Um, so I think that could be something that could be worked on in Ireland a little bit more is actually letting the the professionals come back and play a game with their whatever club they're affiliated with, whether it be senior or junior club, um, during the year. That's created a good buzz. And then the other thing is upskilling coaches that are outside the school system uh, regularly to keep them up to date with, with what's happening in rugby and, and how it's progressing and trying to stay ahead of the curve. So that's their, their two areas, I think. One is letting, letting professional players back to the clubs and let them, let them play a few games um, during the year if, if the schedule allows. And the second thing is just upskilling coaches. Uh, you made it to Leinster Academy and you suddenly look around and you see a young Gian Healy, a young Devon Toner, who I presume was still big then, um, yeah. and a certain uh, Johnny Sexton. Now, um, do you remember looking around and thinking, I'm better than these, I'm as good as these, we're all going to be stars, some of us are, or what? No, when I, when I went in there first, uh, they were... They had, like, Keen Healy was a freak. He still is a freak, but he was a freak in the gym. Like, he was massive. Um, and I was just, like, I hadn't lifted a weight at that stage. I was I was just farming at home. And um, the same with all those boys. They were after being in the system for a couple of years in terms of their school system, mm-hmm. which in turn was true Leinster, really. And, um, you know, coming in at the start, I was a little bit in awe of, of, of them all. And um, I had a lot of catching up to do in terms of my skill base, in terms of my S&C side of stuff. And um, but once I got going at weights and starting starting, to ca- I caught up with them pretty quickly. And um, then you're kind of you feel a lot more comfortable when you get a little bit bigger and you're winning collisions and um, you know your skills are improving all the time. So you, you you fit in pretty quickly. But at the start, I was like, these boys are really really good and they're a lot better than I was. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look, uh, irrespective of the defects which you've identified and and suggested somewhere around them, there's no doubt that the Leinster Academy and Leinster in particular have got a fantastic reputation for producing homegrown talent. Now, why why is that in really you know so much uh, more than say possibly other you know provinces of Ireland? It's just it's it's a numbers game in Leinster. We've so many uh, rugby schools, and we've so many um, youths. So we have we have the pick of with the biggest pick out of everyone. But the other thing is obviously that the investment that's going into these schools and and club systems is massive. And again, you know, you look at um, you look at the Black Rocks and and um, Clongos and St Michael's. They're churning out um, fully ready to play professionals when they leave school. Mm-hmm. Like a James Ryan, for instance, the minute he came into the Leinster Academy, you look at him and you go. This fella's ready to rock. He's a good head in his shoulders. His knowledge is perfect. He's big. He's physical, etc. He's going to get bigger and he's going to get more physical. But when he came out of school, you always knew that he was one of these boys that were that was chomping at the bit and nearly ready to play. So they're just they're churning, churning, churning these young, talented academy guys out now. And um, you know, I think I think we're nearly in Leinster. We're nearly spoiled because. We're actually producing so many good rugby players that they're they're heading off to the other provinces from um, from school and mm-hmm. getting into other provinces' academies. Uh, you made your debut in September 2008. It was under Michael Checker. Um, he also went on to have a you know a rich, varied, uh, you know, successful career. What have your what were your memories of that and him? Yeah, Checks. Checks is a hard-nosed character. Um, 
I remember he used to give us a hard time, the younger group, the likes of Keane and Dev and Johnny and myself. Um, but he was trying to change the culture in Leinster at that time. And because we were uh, probably a little bit soft um, and were very hot and cold on, on, on big days. So he, he tried to instill that bit of toughness in us and, and in the senior players that were there and weed out some of the lads maybe that weren't um, fully committed to the cause. Mm. So my, my memories of checks are good ones. Um, like he was a good character, but he was hard on us, but in a good way. And it, it, it done us the world of good. And he had a good group of young lads coming through at the one time and mixed in with the likes of the Driscolls, Shane Horgan, Leo and Jeno coming back at that time. Um, you know, he had a group of people that really wanted to win and mm. make Leinster successful. Sean, did he ever, because when I, I spoke to him, I've, I've, I've spoke to him several times, I've interviewed him and so on, and he made, he made a big thing to me about getting over to the Australian players, because he was you know, in, in situ in Australia at the time, about what it was like to have a career like his where he never quite made it and how thankful he would have been and how much he would have made it if he'd just got there and that people who had the talent, uh, you know, owed it to people like him, you know, to do it because they didn't realise what it would be like to be in a position like that. Did he ever use that sort of message when you were there? Yeah, he did. He did. He used similar messages because, um, like, we were obviously you're in a privileged uh you know, stay it when you're in in a setup like that, and and you are lucky to be there. Um, so he did he did remind us of that a little bit. And for people who mightn't have quite met it, or someone with bad injuries that was forced to retire, that was a good rugby player, he'd always bring up that that human element too, too, and the the why we actually play and the the care and element of it. So that was that was a part of his DNA too. Um, but at that stage, I suppose it was it was you know he landed in when there was a lot of lot of good players that he had to just uh, get a bit hard-nosed with and, and make sure that he drove the setup in, in the way we needed it driven at the time. Well, he's, I mean, he started the upward trajectory and it was continued under Joe Schmidt. Um, what did Joe bring that was different? Joe, Joe brought a level of discipline and detail that um, was incredible. Um, he didn't let anybody, and I mean anybody, the Driscolls, any of these boys, away with anything. Um, a drop ball, uh, a, a shift pass, whatever it may be, he just he would pull everyone up on everything, and our standards off the field were um, were massive. Like um, our keeping the changing room completely clean, kitchen, every all our environment spotless. Um, so he was very like Joe was a school teacher, so he was very like that in terms of the way he he went about his business, but. The great thing about him then was his level of detail when it came to analysing the opposition. He always found uh, chinks in their armour and um, we exposed them. And we came up with a plan to do that during the week. But, I mean, that's interesting you talking about the off-the-field stuff because a lot of people might say, yeah, so well, what difference does that make? What difference did it make to you as a person? and Your outlook and other things. What did it do for you? Yeah, well, sure. It 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 does make you these habits. When when someone's actually like that the whole time, your habits they become a habit. So you you wouldn't walk by a piece of rubbish on the street nearly if you seen it. You pick it up and put it in a bin somewhere. Um, and they were they were the small things that you'd actually kind of go to yourself, Jesus, why why did I just do that? Because you're doing it in the environment every day, and you're doing it around the environment, and it's something you're just so used to, and it's it ends up being ingrained in you. Um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff like that, and the discipline aspect of it on the field in terms of 
giving away penalties and a training giving away penalties there was none of that really with us it, it, it just wasn't tolerated becomes a, an element of self-discipline doesn't it when you can when you can police yourself that's always a, a huge thing like, you, you turned down a couple of opportunities to move to the top 14 when you were at Leinster I presume those were lucrative ones you know yeah. what, what are your thoughts on the rules about players not being selected uh, internationally if they do that yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I suppose in Ireland, you know when you leave that that's an unwritten rule. Um, it was only It's only been broke once, obviously, with Johnny going to Racing. Oh, how did that um, go down, by the way? <laughs> well, I suppose he was so good at, he was so good at that stage <laughs> that you're kind of saying, Jesus, we, we, we need him and, you know, bring him back. But um, I suppose they would have been in the rights not to, but they did anyway. Um, so we, we didn't really think about it at the time, but... I think it's going to be interesting going forward, especially if crowds don't come back in uh, to stadiums and stuff uh, soon in Ireland. Uh, financially, how how I suppose contract negotiations are mm. going to go with some of the the international uh, paid players, and if they go to leave, what happens then? Because some of the best guys are probably up for contract now shortly, and if they can't get the value they can in or that they deserve probably in Ireland, they're probably going to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And then then the, probably the union will be forced into a decision to, to go, right, do we need to bring home these players? Do we need these players? And the answer will probably be yes, we do need them. So it'll be an interesting time that lies ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go back to your um, time under Joe Schmidt, both with Ireland and uh, Leinster. But the third coach you played under, his current boss, is Leo Cullen, made the difficult transition from player to, to, uh, to manager. That's not always easy. Uh, and of course, a lot of our listeners will remember Stuart Lancaster from his spell as England coach. And I got to know Stuart, I think, reasonably well, quite well, very well, I thought. Um, how would you describe both their impacts? How would you say Leo went about that difficult bit of distancing what he had been to what he had to become? Yeah, it was it was very evident straight away with Leo in in terms of his transition because, um, like, while I played with Leo for a long time, the minute he became um, our, our head coach, like he was, he flicked the switch and he, I suppose you have to when you're in that situation. So he, he, he wasn't uh, the same kind of, there wasn't the same crack obviously that would be in him on a normal day when you're, a, when you're a teammate, but he, he flicked the switch in terms of still being um, a person and being able to man manage you really well. Like he always was as a captain too. So Leo's very good at having tough conversations with people and, um, you soon seeing that in 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 uh, in in terms of being on the management side of it rather than playing side of it. Um, he'd have those tough conversations. He's a very straight shooter, so it was it was probably an easy thing for him to do. It was probably a bit strange for the likes of me and some of the other lads looking in, going, "Right, well, he he's not he's not a teammate anymore. He's our coach, and um, we have to flick the switch as well and make sure that we're not expecting him just to be um, you know the Leo that we played with." rather than the Leo that's actually over us now and he wants things done a certain way. So, you know, it was it was, it was was probably an easier transition for him. It took us a little bit, a while to adapt to him, but with Leo, you know exactly where you stand uh, nine times out of ten. So once you know where the line was, um, it was easy to get on with it. And, and then with Stuart, Stuart obviously has been a massive part of what Leinster's been about the last few years. And the two of them complement each other so well. And... Um, you know, I think he missed the coaching element of it when he was with England. He was trying to look after so much external stuff, probably, that he went away from what he was really good at. 
and um, we were we were very lucky, I suppose, to get him at the time. And um, yeah, he's been really a breath of fresh air, trying to drive people in the right direction, trying to improve everyone as an individual, and um, really, really investing in the club and investing in the people in the club. And um, yeah, he was a great find for us, to be fair. Fifty-six caps for Ireland, Six Nations title in 2015, two World Cups. Can you pick out a couple of highlights from that? I think the 2011 win against Australia was was certainly a highlight of the World Cup. Um, getting your first cap uh, at home in the RDS was a, definitely a highlight for me. Um, in '09, um, denying England the Grand Slam. Yeah, was, well, that, that was one of the good days uh, as well. Um, and then we've lots of bad days as well. One of them, like, like uh, the day in Murrayfield actually was a great day when we won the championship after mm-hmm. England or France played. Um, but then you've lots of bad days as well. The 2015 World Cup was uh, probably a bad day for me in terms of it was a great day beating the French, but uh, missing the quarter final afterwards was one of, one of the worst in my life. So um, there's been some good and some bad, but. Um, Pretty pleased. Can I just ask you about this? I mean, because I've looked at Ireland for a long time, obviously a lot older than you, but for many tournaments, Ireland have rightly been talked of as, you be careful of Ireland because they could do something special. So many times that has been said and so many times it's gone wrong. Is there anything that you can put your finger on as to, as a, uh, you know, a, a, a common denominator in that or is it just a, a series of, of, you know, one-off difficulties? I think we probably peaked a year a year too early um, leading into the last World Cup, mm-hmm. and I think um, I think it gave teams uh, a chance to figure us out in terms of what we were going about and how we were going about things um, leading into the 2019 World Cup. But then you you kind of that's one side of the coin. You look at the other side of it, and in that All Blacks game, you look at the first um, 30 minutes and two clear-cut opportunities, and we one, we run into each other, and two, we don't throw a pass. Mm-hmm. And, like, we walk in both times. So there's, you know, there's 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 plenty of ways of looking at it, but I just think with um, World Cups, we ha- they haven't gone well for us. Um, definitely haven't. And I think the 2015 one was the closest. If we hadn't all those, those injuries, we lost probably five of our most physical players for that RG game. Mm-hmm. That was probably our best shot. You know, any any time you play New Zealand, obviously in the quarter final, you're going to be up against it. But um, yeah, there's hopefully hopefully in four years, three years time, it's uh, it could be a different story with the group we've coming through. We chat a bit more about uh, injury struggles, but um, can you tell me what it was like missing out on the uh, Japanese World Cup, and ultimately you knowing that probably Iron career isn't going to end on your terms. Yeah, it was a difficult place for me to be mentally. Um, but I had enough of struggle, I suppose, for the for that season uh, leading into the World Cup with my hip. And I just couldn't take any more of it. And I knew something had to give. So it was either get this operation and see does it work or just finish. And um, once I'd made the decision, I was happy. But f- from going from 2015, I really, really, really wanted to make amends in 2019. And that was a massive goal for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, my body didn't allow it, and um, it was it was it was easy enough watching in the end. To be fair, because I knew I was I knew I w- wouldn't have been contributing the way I'd have liked to have been on one leg over there. We touched on this earlier on. You were talking about um, slight changes under Farrell. You're looking for that sort of style. What is it 
What, it, what can you define? Can you tell me what that style should be in your opinion? Well, I think I, th- I think we just get away from from being so structured. Um, so I, I think that I think that's what I think that's the way uh, you know we've shown glimpses of when we, when we are a little bit unstructured, it looks looks a lot better. Um, I think I think physically against the bigger teams, when you play a structured game, if they get stuck into you and you know stop your first couple of phases, it's 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 a hard game to try and play, and it's very attritional. And we don't have. We don't have big, massive, um, you know, men like uh, like a Billy Vunapol or a Maro Toja. Like we don't have that size of, of people to to win collisions in that um, in that kind of arena. Um, so it's I think we should get away from from that aspect of it and, and just play a little bit more and throw the ball around a little bit more because that group that they have coming through now is plenty skillful to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Talk to me about a bit more about the struggles, especially with your hip, because you mentioned in the book that you had a choice of hip replacement, which is, it will come out a bit of a shock to most people. They usually associate it with people who are much older. Or hip resurfacing, which is what Andy Murray had. You went for the latter. What what made your mind up about that? What made my mind up was it gave me a chance. Um, and that was really the, the nail in the... Uh, nail in the coffin it gave me a chance to to come back and it was a chance I was willing to take um, it had never been done before by a professional rugby player and it was it was something that was safe in my eyes because if something went wrong I could always have the hip replacement but um, I didn't want to finish the way I finished my career the last season and a half it was it was tough uh, mentally on me. I didn't play any good rugby. I probably played two games of the year. Played well against Toulouse in a in a, in a quarter final. Um, but other than that, I was struggling, struggling with a lot of pain, and I couldn't run or get up off the ground quickly, etc. So it was. Sean, what, keep, what keeps you? What keeps you going through this mentally? Because it's all right saying I've got a goal physically. I'm doing this that, and the other, but mentally there must be a huge. Uh, a drag on you as well. How how do you cope with that? What do you do? Well, mentally, I suppose it was uh, why I kept going was because I want to win things, and I th- and I still think I have um, a lot to give, and that's why I came to London Irish. And what they want to try and achieve, I I think I can help. And mentally, to to get away from it all, to switch off, um, I think I have a good balance now between rugby and 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 life outside of rugby. So. Um, get my head right. If I'm if I'm muzzled over something, I'll I'll, I'll go play pigeon shooting usually for an mm-hmm. hour or two, and that that clears the head and gets me back hungry for the next day of training. But I think I still have a lot to add in the game, and um, that's why I'm still playing. The Lions, how special was that? Yeah, two two incredible tours. Um, the pinnacle, I suppose, of any any professional player's uh, career, and uh, some serious memories made on both tours. And um, you know, going to Australia and then going to New Zealand were, was was incredible, and um, made some great friends as well on both tours, and in contact with them boys still. And uh, yeah, it's it's it was an absolute privilege to be honest. Well, I hope you have the same thing. I mean, we got together with an '89 one. Uh, a, a while ago, and um, people just dropped in. People haven't actually seen each other since the tour, and they dropped in. So I hope that'll be the same with you. I want to talk you through the the, the try the second test. Yeah. 
um, went down, well, you go down in history. Um, can you talk me through a pitch side, pitch side version of that, please? Pitch side version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think I just seen um, Smith box kick, box kicked back down the field, or no, it was it Bowden Barrett maybe that actually kicked it, and um, we were about on the halfway line at that stage, and I just said let's get back here and support, but I was fully sure Liam Williams was going to um, just launch it back down the touchline and would have a line out somewhere, but. When I seen him coming back in field and pinning his ears back, I said, I better get back here in case this fella does get tackled because he's the type of player that does just play off the cuff. And uh, when I was getting back close to him, um, then he really put the hammer down. And I said, well, I better go try and pick up this fella. So <laughs> I put the pinned ears back and away with me. But um, yeah, the, the boys done all the the boys done all the hard work and I just had to uh, basically fall over the line. But... I was pretty tired after running the length of the field, I can assure you. <laughs> um, look, you speak highly, highly of Warren Gatland in the book, but, I mean, obviously, a lot of people will remember some of the comments that were made following the tour about the preparation. Uh, what's your view of, of, of all that now? Yeah, I could have probably said it in a, in a bit of a different way, but the way I suppose it was grabbed at the time and, and turned into a heading as such, uh, it wasn't really what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. I was getting at the, I was getting at the fact that there's improvements to be made going forward, etc. And it was, um, yeah, it was like I guess when I spoke to the coaches afterwards, I got what they were saying to me. They got what I was saying to them because it wasn't lost in translation in terms of the media. But it was certainly um, there is certainly learnings to be taken from both myself and probably from from their point of view too. So um, you know, you you draw a line on it, you move on. Um, you can't, I can't turn back the clock, but it it wasn't to try and tarnish anyone or to pick anyone out. It was to try and make the setup better. And you know, I suppose you have you have these opportunities in life. And I just thought that it was a massive opportunity to to go and win a line series in New Zealand. And um, yeah. you know, rather than I suppose we we drew it like, but it was a bit of an anticlimax. I understand that. Yeah, um, we we were speaking on here last week about who might be a suitable captain. If you if you had to pick one today, who do you think you'd choose? If I'd pick one today, I would probably pick. Um, I'd probably t- pick Atosia, to be honest. Why? I just think he's he's fit. Um, he's vocal. He doesn't uh, he doesn't talk much rubbish or anything like that. He's he's um, he's a leader in terms of his actions, and I think physically um, he's probably one of the most dominant players in 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 the. You know who would be on that squad, mm-hmm. and that's what you you need someone like that. You need a hard nosed, no nonsense fella going to South Africa, and uh, he's he's my pick anyway at the minute. Full contact, in association with Mitsubishi Motors. Everyone's ambitions are different. You can climb to the top, or you could take on uphill battles of a different kind. You can explore for hundreds of miles. Or you could begin a bigger journey. You can make time fly. Or you could make it stand still. The Mitsubishi SUV range. Drive your ambition. In partnership with England Rugby, Mitsubishi Motors runs a volunteer recognition programme to provide the rugby community with opportunities to recognise and reward the volunteers who are the heartbeat of the game. Now, throughout the autumn, in association 
with Mitsubishi, I will be chatting with a selection of rugby volunteers to hear their stories and shine a light on the brilliant work they've done during these most challenging of times. My guest for the third instalment is Jordan Mattinson from Whitehaven RUFC. If you don't know where Whitehaven is, it's a long way from anyway. Get to Lakes and you keep going. Uh, hello, Jordan. Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I hear you and Whitehaven uh, RUFC have carried out fundraisers for your local yeah. NHS, selling T-shirts and so on. What made you decide to do this and how, how were you involved? Myself and a, a fellow called Glyn Thompson who set, set it up. We, uh, we, we'd obviously been seeing on the internet clubs down and couldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you've seen this a lot much of the in the NHS got pumped in all, in all the cases of people being in ICU and everything like that. So we thought we'd, we'd like to try and give a little bit back. But it was, we were kind of the first people around here to do it. So it's just like the card of the market kind of thing. So we ended up yeah. selling, I think it was for 482 shirts, something like well, 482 shirts, and went the other day. Um, I think it's 493 tops. It worked out something like three three and a half thousand pounds or something for them. Well, that's brilliant, mate. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, talking about the isolation point, one thing which is very pertinent and germane to you, isn't it, is the uh, Great North Air Ambulance, and uh, I, I know you also hosted a fundraiser for that. What what, was, what did that involve? It seemed to be a charity that kind of got like left by the wayside while people were fundraising for other charities. It seemed to. Not, not be forgotten about, but it wasn't as in the forefront as anyone's mind, if yeah. you know what I mean. Um, so we thought, like, how can we try and help them out? So while, while we were in lockdown, we uh, we organised a couple of fundraisers. Uh, with the uh, air ambulance, what they do, they, they usually get people to donate clothes and books and DVDs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it gets it gets weighed in for a pound a kilogram. All right. To, like, they, it just gets bought by charity shops. So we, we advertise on Facebook saying... Would people like to come and drop off? Obviously, if, you, if everyone's in lockdown, you've got time to sort through your old junk, haven't you? Yes. So we uh, we said about people dropping stuff off, and I think over over the course of three drop off days, we ended up with twenty three ton. So oh, twenty three thousand pounds. That's outstanding, so, mate. It, it shows you how much money's in people's rubbish as well, doesn't it? Like how much money you've just got sat there that yep. it could be helping people. Yep. Well, I don't know. This is a you know tremendous. This has two things. There are. I know there are also other things that you and the club have done to support uh, the rugby or your local community during the pandemic. Uh, can you tell us anything more? We got in contact with all uh, the care homes in, in Copeland, which is like our local like, constituency. Like, so obviously the residents weren't getting to see the families. Mm-hmm. for at, at, at the time, I think it had been four months. So we, we organised another drop-off day for things like, like books, um, adult colouring books, puzzles, wild sweets, DVDs, stuff like that. We mm-hmm. made boarding boxes. Uh, boarding boxes. Um, we went and delivered them to each care home. Well, look, John, Jordan, it's been it's been a tough and challenging time for rugby clubs all round the country. You know, not able to really play much. Only the minis and bits and pieces going on. Um, I'm I was I'm quite to be honest. I'm quite afraid for the future of some clubs. Our white how have white even come through this? What are they doing to try and positively react and make sure the club comes out of it the other side? Well, what. One thing that has been a bit of a positive through the lockdown is given us time to, to um, improve the clubhouse. A lot of the work's been done by the lads, like all the looking out and a lot of the things. The, club, the clubhouse has been totally renovated, which oh, has been... Well, look, it, we'd hoping it's put us in a good stead, really. Well, look, I mean, that, that's brilliant. I mean, I've heard all the things you're doing. People like you, um, that we can't get enough of them. Uh, can I wish you the best? Thank you very much for all you've done for your community. 
Um, uh, good luck to uh, to Whitehaven. Let's make sure that they come out of it the other side positive and uh, with a new clubhouse. It's great to speak to you, Jordan. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. That's Jordan Mattinson there from Whitehaven RUFC. And if you want more details about the Mitsubishi Motors Volunteer Recognition Programme with England Rugby, visit www.englandrugby.com forward slash participation forward slash volunteers. Sean, it's been fascinating. Why don't we, why don't we wrap up with a few questions from, uh, from listeners? You'll be asked these all the time. So you can give us the standard answers or not. Um, who would you rank as the most talented player you've played with? Uh, Irish, for start off, first off, Ireland. Most talented I've played with? Um, oh, it'd have to be, it would have to be O'Driscoll that I've played mm. with because he, used to, he could do stuff that other players couldn't do at any given time. And toughest opponent? Richie McCaw. Why? I, I, I can guess, but you tell me why. Yeah, um, to be honest, you know, you look at you. I used to review videos of him after playing against him and stuff. He was always where the ball was, around the ball, a constant nuisance, a constant threat. Um, he was just incredible. He had everything to his game. He -hmm. really had everything to his game. And even his carrying later on in his career, he improved that compared to earlier on in his career just as a poacher. So he kind of he, he evolved with the game. And he was the benchmark for us all, I think. Paul Williams says, such is the focus on the breakdown. Is it time for two open sides to become the norm? Uh, yeah, it probably probably the way things are going at the minute, it is, it is probably the norm, to be fair, as long as one of them is a, a line-out operator mm-hmm. um, of some sort. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an advantage to have two fetchers on the pitch. Um. From Stuart, has the change in the law, well, the change in emphasis actually around the breakdown caused a reduction in tries scored this calendar year? Far more turnovers? Is, is that a good thing? Um, yeah, I think far more turnovers, but I think a lot of there was a, I think there's been a lot of turnovers scored off those, or a lot of tries scored off those turnovers. So I'm not sure if it's, um, I'm not sure if that is that a fact that's that there's been less. I'm not sure it is a fact, to be honest. I, I, yeah, it's an it's opinion. It's opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think it could work the other way. If um, if teams are really getting clean turnovers, um, they can use it as an attacking attacking weapon for them. So yeah, get disorganised defences and yeah, and so on. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen said, throughout Sean's career, throughout your career, which rule change or which I'll put it this way, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll modify a bit, which rule um, or law. Uh, played most to your strengths and which was the hardest to adapt to? Um, which was the hardest to adapt to? I think, I think, I think now is actually probably now with the latest rule around the breakdown is mm-hmm. the is the hardest one to adapt to because it's so fast. Yeah. Um, so you either have to make you have to make that split decision, that smart decision, really quickly indeed, whether you're going for a poach or you're going to sniff it out somewhere else because. If you go in and get blasted out, you're down a man in D. If you get there and you're on the ball, the referees are giving it now once to see a pull. Where years ago, I remember being on balls for five, six seconds and you're getting belted and belted and then you might get a penalty. So I think the rule now is the one that um, people have to get most right because there's been a lot of penalties for hands on ground, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So, so this one is probably the most uh, difficult to, 
to make a good start. I'll put my own in here, Sean. The, there were two red cards in the uh, in the um, Australia-New Zealand game mm. over the weekend. Um, people have different thoughts about this. And I know uh, some modern players seem to have, have said to me, well, you know, it's how the way it goes. What did you think of them? Are they red cards? Uh, red, car- red cards, yes, by the letter of the law, um, the way it is now. But when when you slow them down and you look at what happens, there's no intent or maliciousness in either of those two hits. And there's no swinging arms. So while, while I suppose it's all happening so fast in front of you and people aren't going to get timing right all the time, but... That is the letter of the law at the minute. So, yes, red cards, but they are harsh ones. Um, if it's a swinging arm or there's intent or there's uh, it's provoked, like it's it's different. It's definitely a red, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's something to look at going forward with, with um, you know, that type of thing, whether whether it's actually intent there or not. Mm-hmm. And last one, uh, not entirely frivolous, but uh, from Tony. Have you any team nights out since you joined London Irish? Don't incriminate! Uh, don't don't incriminate yourself. By the way, here. Nah, <laughs> no, we've only we've only uh, we've had uh, last Christmas was it? Yeah, it was last Christmas. We had our Christmas party, all right. And that's the <laughs> that's the only team night we've been out on. So, um, looking forward to when we're ready to get back out again. Good man. Just remember the camera phones everywhere, mate. Listen, Sean, it's been it's been fascinating. We could go on forever, but um, we uh, we'll run out of time. Um, but best of luck getting back with everything. I really hope you can. Finish on your your terms and and, and just for for what it's worth, um, when you come to retirement, I I did a lot of research about this, and the people who do best out of retirement are the people who plan for things. So I just hope you've got something in mind. You know when it comes that you go out on your own terms and you can have that plan and it'll all go your way. So thanks very much, mate. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. I hope you enjoyed the extended chat with my guest Sean O'Brien. Uh, I wish Sean best of luck for the season ahead once more and on his career. Make sure you check out his book, Fuel, which is available now in all good bookshops. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes? And to say, look, you'll stay up to date on all things uh, with sport if you head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash contact. That's where listeners can get 30 days access to all the Telegraph's premium sports coverage completely free I'll be back next week when we'll be reviewing round one of the inaugural Autumn Nations Cup England are playing Georgia will Georgia make a case for replacing Italy or forcing the way in some otherwise we will see but from now goodbye Full Contact in association with Mitsubishi Motors drive your ambition 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.